Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for August 14th. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. Happy birthday, Trevor! Thank you. Happy birthday, Trevor! Yes, today, Sunday, August 13th, is my is the day of my birth. Yeah, it's true. The day that we're recording, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just said a different date, so now everybody's confused. But you know what? This is the episode that's all about things subtly not matching up, so yeah, why not? Yeah, totally. Why not? Definitely, yeah. Let me let me just paint you a picture real quick. I um as you know, I have been um in the process of like moving. Yes. Like for pretty much the last like five months because of some circumstances that I won't go into now and I think we'll just consider deep lost Hallelujah Monkeys lore. So yesterday I finally um brought all my stuff over to my new place. Um and I even like hired a small team of movers to do it. Because you know, I have furniture, I'm like an adult. They got it all in there. They got it all reassembled, all all great. And then they locked me out of the room. No, the the roommates or the movers? How did it happen? The movers. I have no idea. I didn't even know the door locked. I just, they left. I went back in the room. I moved some stuff around. Then I left to go back to my current place and find some stuff. And when I tried to go back into the room, the door was locked. Happy birthday, Trevor. Right? Locked out of his house. Of course. This is actually the second birthday I've spent locked out of my house. The first time I had to (laughs) Uh uh, break in through a window with a large rock. I'm currently recording this episode of the podcast, um, just sitting on the floor of my empty room, like the old one. So what is this? You, you just, that house is just going to be something you pay rent for from now on and are not allowed to enter. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Hallelujah Monkeys West. Oh, that's a good point, Trevor. Is it Hallelujah Monkeys Southwest and Hallelujah Monkeys Northwest now? Good question. I guess so, right? I mean, we're both Hallelujah Monkeys West now. Well, you know what? This is also the episode of Ambiguous Headquarters, Trevor, so again, Another good we're point. right on theme. Another good point. So, we're going to talk about all that. Do you want to talk about the news first? Because there's... Yes, let's get into the news. Let's do it. It's all good news now. Trevor, this is just a little something-something, but the Super Deluxe songs... You remember we talked about the ISRC last week? Yes, that... that very interesting thing. whole long thing about <laughs> track titles. Yeah, so the the tracks from the Super Deluxe uh, just got track times, run times on the ISRC, which is usually a sign that uh, that we're going to hear one or all of them soon, which I guess makes sense, because this is coming out on the 25th of August, Trevor. We're so close now. That, I totally forgot. Like, you told me that um, the other day, and I was like, whoa, yeah, cool. A G-Sides worth of Gorillaz tracks by the end of the month. That's very nice. It's insane. I can't wait. I'm very excited. Uh, fingers crossed there's some keepers of the bunch. And also, fingers crossed there's some, like, you know, really wacky out there shit. That's my hope. I mean, one of the songs is called Growing With His Face, so I feel like that's a pretty safe <laughs> bet, right? Yes. That's a two minutes and 14 seconds long. Just enough time to do something totally wacky. Yeah. Boy, it's like we got new music on the horizon and we have a new remix. This is like vintage Hallelujah Monkeys right now. Yeah, I guess so. Like right way back to episode one. Remember the remember the early days? But yeah, we got a we got a remix of uh, we got another Saturn's Bar remix with um, a bunch of people on it, right? Yeah. So it's a very long, like kind of mega mix Saturn's Bar remix with a bunch of dance hall MCs on it. It's got... Assassin, Mad Cobra, Teddy Bruckshot, and Killa P, and then it was remixed by a guy named Cadenza. I really like Assassin. He has a great feature on Yeezus. He's on I'm In It, which is like one of my favorite and most under- underrated Kanye songs. Yeah, that's, I think, why he gets top billing, because I don't think he's first on the track, but he's mm. clearly the most famous of this bunch. I listened to this song, Trevor. I think that... Uh, comparisons to the ed case refix are apt okay it's sort of it's like an aggressive dance holly take on saturn's bars i clicked on the link that you provided but i didn't see it on their soundcloud so i haven't heard it 
wasn't wasn't too disappointed to get on there and find that it was gone. The reason that I compare it to the Ed Case refix, Trevor, is that it's like a sped up version of the hook, and then you've got some some potentially Jamaican or other Caribbean rappers rapping on it. You know, doesn't sound like I missed out on too much. It's very long. I'll yeah. say that it's yeah. very long, but also maybe potentially more interesting than like a, a run of the mill remix because at least it has a bunch of new verses on it. So you would put it somewhere, somewhere below. Like, what's your favorite remix? I can, you know what I like the Chopper remix of Dirty Harry. That's probably my favorite. So you put it somewhere below the Chopper remix of Dirty Harry and somewhere I assume reasonably high above the 19 2000 Wise Guys has a remix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's definitely falls between those two extremes. And then we had a big, a big Gorillas set at uh, Outside Lands, the festival in San Francisco. Trevor, they played some new stuff. They played some, and they didn't play some stuff they've been playing. As as you know, a lot of sets go. That's how it always the the the, the Damon giveth and the Damon taketh away. But you know, the, the, there was a lot of speculation because a number of Gorillas collaborators were on the on the what do you call it the schedule the roster the roster exactly. And the the only disappointment was that we did in fact have Rag and Bone Man there, but there was no live Apprentice, which was a bit of a bummer. That would have been neat to see. They haven't played that one live at all yet, right? No, and this would have been the time. Because Rag and Bone Man, he's he's touring on a big hit single. He's probably not going to take time out of his schedule to do a gorilla show specifically. But if he's already there at a festival, you figure that would have been the moment. You know, there's also there's also another song that we surprisingly haven't gotten the entire tour that they they finally did play here. Do you wanna do you wanna say what it is? Yeah, well, in in attendance uh, this at this outside lands festival uh, was Little Dragon. So what better time to finally bust out? Uh, I believe what number four on our Gorillas fan vote Dylan, top list Dylan, of best songs. Dylan, are you joking? No, Empire Ant. Is this a bit? Are you? Do- they played Feel Good Ink, dude. Oh, oh, sorry. I get it. We were talking about two different songs. Yes, yeah, they played they, Feel Good Ink. Yeah, they played. Uh, yeah, they played Empire Ants. Yeah, pretty good song, Plastic Beach. Oh, yeah, and they played the their biggest hit single that they haven't played on the entire yet tour yet so far. I know. It's well. I, I wonder if it's because they haven't had a, a Masaya there. They've only had Pies. I it guess. Could be that. I guess. Yeah. They did do it at the at at Demon Days, of course, but Demon Days wasn't part of the North American tour. But yeah, right. They're back. The boys are back. And so are Little Dragon. They're all back. The family all together. That is cool. I'm surprised they didn't, like, would you Would you rather see Empire Ants or Two Binge? Empire Ants, for sure, definitely. Really? Okay, yeah. I, I would probably say so, too. Although I like Two Binge better on the album. I feel like live, having Empire Ants would be better. I mean, Two Binge live, they do that kind of interesting pantomime of a love story which is which is yeah they do that really drawn out ending which is kind of silly but also fun to watch i wouldn't have been disappointed with either but yeah if it's my choice i would have picked picked empire and uh we had dell there for clint eastwood uh little sims was back she did garage palace and we got the power good to see her again nice but the big omission trevor i know yeah i saw this in your notes and my stomach dropped i know this is this better be the only time this happens because Jamie Principal was not there, and they did not play Sex Murder Party. He better have had, like, a stomach virus. He needs to be there at every day. Okay, they've already taken Charger and She's My Caller off the set list, although I think they might have played She's My Caller because again Cali- recently. Yeah, Kelly Uchis was there as, as one of the people at Outside Land, so they did it again there. Okay, okay. But yeah, I know they've dropped that from the set list. If they drop Sex Murder Party, I am going to... I don't think we're at risk. I think it's I think it's Damon's second favorite uh, song to do from the album, and I I would imagine it was just 
Jamie Principal had to do something. That would be my guess. Let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. We'll let you know. We'll let you know. Sex Murder Party Watch is officially on. Yeah, so that was Outside Lands. Then the big story, Trevor. Let's get into it. We finally got the strobe light video. It came out, and I beat it to the upload of the part of last week's episode. So technically... We, we made it right under the wire, though, didn't we? <laughs> technically, I didn't get scooped, Trevor. I think I had the upload, like, no more than a full hour <laughs> before the video came out. We're here on the front lines as stuff is dropping, man. You want to you wanna review this video with me? We have a format. I have my notes and everything. Sure, yeah. I mean, it was. I thought it was a pretty cool video. It was all right. It wasn't my favorite Gorillaz video, but, you know, it was... It, 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 let's do our let's do our due diligence, though. Uh, we have a format for, for music video reviews. I have a one-something summary. Oh, right. I Okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Gorillaz hit the club in a frenetic video in which many things are shown, yet very little happens. That checks out. Mine is um basically a pretty good representation of what I see in my head when I listen to humans. It for sure is a Jamie Hewlett video because there's a lot of crowd noise sound effects, especially especially yep. early on. There's that punch. Let's talk about that punch because we have a little bit of, of unsourceable information from anonymous uh, listeners and and listener adjacent people who were there for the shoot trevor and we know right yeah they can they can finally talk about it right it's unclear what all they can talk about so let's go ahead and remain anonymous here but but apparently a lot was cut trevor there was like a full boxing match that was i think supposed to take place between Remy Remy kabaka and russell huh which we see at the a, a little tiny bit of at the very beginning for one shot you see Remy just like a, a split second yeah other than that russell doesn't do anything in this video and apparently there was also an elaborate battle physical battle between murdoch and the fez phil carnwell character who was dressed in an exact replica of russell's outfit from dirty harry i believe Yes, exactly. Fez and the, yeah. and the Fu Manchu. That's interesting that that happened, and I can only speculate about what's going on here. I wonder if it was a I bit off more than I could chew technically situation with this new motion cap animation. Some of the fandom has even speculated, Trevor, that since this is the radio edit that they used uh, in the video, that maybe there's some kind of a director's cut forthcoming. No indication of that on the official side of things, though. What do you think is going to come out first? The um, the director's cut of the Strobe Light video or the second Kendrick album, Nation? <laughs> Great question. Or Seaside. I'm still waiting on King of Limbs Part 2. Jamie had an idea for this video, and at some point, for whatever reason, that video was dramatically scaled back. But let's get into our favorite and least favorite things about this video. Uh, for me, Trevor, the, the best thing about this video are that is that series of shots of, of humans collaborators? Yes, that's why. Um, that's exactly why I said this is a representation of what I see in my head when I listen to humans. It's just a big house party with all the collaborators there and everybody just kind of, you know, having a party. Just seeing them there and you see like uh, Paz Denuse and, and uh, Jenny Beth and... Zebra Cat. Zebra Cat, Jamie Principal's there. Vince Staples. You even see Jamie Hewlett for a tiny split second there. The, it gave me a really interesting feeling, like an almost like a nostalgic feeling about this four-month-old album. I just felt like oddly emotionally stirred by all the shots of the humans collaborators in the video. It's been a journey. It has been a journey, and that was a really lovely part. Here's the here's the main problem I have with this video, Trevor. There, Jamie has adopted this new editing style, which is very frantic. A lot of cuts. Yeah, he doesn't linger on anything for very long. In those interviews, he was saying he was like really inspired by Thriller and these dance videos, and there are moments where the dance that's happening between 
2D and Noodle seemed like a really interesting, fun dance. Like, especially during the, the first chorus, they're doing like an arms thing. Yeah, I noticed this too, though. The way it's edited, you can't really track the moves. It almost it looks like they're doing some kind of synchronized bit. It really gets lost in the editing, which That's is a really shame. That's really frustrating. I would have loved to have had clearer shots of the strobe light dance, because then, you know, you and me could have done it at the forum in October. Exactly. I would have really loved an entire, like, four-piece synchronized dance sequence with every member of the band. Is that too much to ask for? Jamie, is that too much to ask for? It may have been. Uh, you know, I think that the, the animation itself, I, I don't dislike it. I saw some some members of the fandom complaining about how the mocap looks. Um, it looks better here than it has in the past, but I'm still not wild about it. And I'm disappointed to see a music video built around it actually well here's what here's what i support it for if it if it should turn out and i don't know that we have evidence that it does but if it should turn out that that jamie can move quickly and more cheaply crank out a gorilla's video using this tech then i support it entirely what about you what what what, what stuck out to you positively or negatively uh, in this video um i thought even everett looked great I think uh, you said the you really liked the crosses under his eyes, and I thought, yeah, that was a cool effect. That is a cool look, yeah. And but, he's got this like kind of silver suit, too, which is dope. Yeah, everybody's dressed really good. I, I wish I could go back and see if uh, Vince Staples was drinking a Sprite. Do you think contractually, in all of his public appearances now, he's got a sip one? It wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, overall, just, I think, kind of a decent video. I'd probably give it like a 6 out of 10 or something like that. It's very slight. I think it functions better yeah. in a music video than, say, El Manana or On Melancholy Hill, certainly, and that it, like... It has a cool aesthetic that fits the song. No would have made the strobe light video like way better though. What? What's that? If they'd made an out of body video instead. Could have almost done the same thing. Almost the Would've exact cool. same video probably. Almost the exact same video. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give out a best dressed award because if you recall, that's something I do. Right. Yeah. You do do that, don't you? It's got to be Remy Kabaka because he's got the, he's got his pink fuzzy snapback hat that says Japan on it. He has shutter shades that have actual neon tubes on them. His jacket, Trevor, is this purple and gold. I think it might have been, might actually be like 90s vintage, but it's got like roulette wheels and poker chips and craps tables and dice on it. I mean, that's a, that's a great look. I, I can't argue with that. Quickly climbing the list if you're going to do some, some, I would, I would hesitate to say subtle because it's very loud, but let's say some deep cut gorillas uh, uh, cosplaying. Maybe yeah. do Remy Kabaka from Strobe Light. Yeah, and have your friend uh, dress up as Johnny Bird. That's the news. We're done. We, we have a new gorillas video. Rejoice, even if it is maybe a little on the slider side of things. Yeah, now let's, um, how about we uh, turn on our radios and see if we could uh, pick up Murdoch's pirate radio. So let's check in on the round table. You're listening to me, Murdoch Nichols, and uh, this is my very own radio show. <laughs> <laughs> Murder's got his own show. Murder's got his own show. La 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 la. Hi, la la. I must have some rum. Dylan, we finally made it to the end of our season-long exploration of uh, the Gorillas lore. We've made it to season three. Uh, I don't know if you could say we finally made it because I see it off in the shore through the mist, but it, we have some treacherous waters to cross before we've officially made that's, it. That's right, yeah. <laughs> we need to get through uh, Murdoch's pirate radio show, and then we're going to go over the, um, I think it was last year, right? The Book of Gorillas, their Instagram series? Yeah, that's right. It was in December, I believe, of last year. Late 2016. To kick off uh, uh, phase four and perhaps to wrap up. Phase three, Trevor, I had a very interesting experience with, with especially Murdoch's Pirate Radio this week. These, if you're, if you're totally unaware, if you're a somewhat gorillas newbie coming into this. So phase three, the lore was kind of kicked off 
by this series of, what do you want to call it, podcasts? It's basically a podcast, yeah. We are a podcast reviewing a podcast this week. Exactly. From Murdoch Nichols, from Plastic Beach, kind of bringing you into the lore of that album and that phase. Broadcasting out of his lighthouse. But I did have a really, a really surreal experience, Trevor, where I was listening to the first one and I was thinking, God, this does not sound familiar at all. I wonder if I just never listened to this before. And so I started Googling around to find the, the thread on Gorillaz Unofficial from when this had launched, just to see, A, what day it had launched and, and how people were, were feeling about it at the time, only to find that that thread did exist. I started it, <laughs> and I was reacting to it, like, in time as it premiered. So that was just like, I still remember shitty commercial jingles from when I was five, but that's gone. That memory is gone. Phantom is a flat circle. Somehow, you in the past knew one day you were going to need this. And then concurrently, parallel with irony, I told you that story on Facebook, and then you were like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't listen to these either. And then I just sent you a screenshot of you in that thread discussing Murdoch's Pirate Radio. (laughs) Apparently, Murdoch's Pirate Radio has some kind of an an analgesic effect. Yeah, I guess so. Or amnesiac effect. It's transportative. That causes it to, to drain from your mind like blood in a slaughterhouse floor. How did you feel about Murdoch's Pirate Radio revisiting it or perhaps experiencing it anew? You know, as I always do every week, I wait till the very last minute to do my Halloween Monkeys homework, which means I sat through hours and like, well, what do you think this came out to be? Like two and a half hours, maybe three? I don't know. If you're skipping all the music, uh, probably right around there. Yeah. Probably about two and a half hours or so. Dylan, this was a brutal listen. It was a tough sit for you, eh? First of all, I enjoyed it. I thought these were very entertaining, but Jesus Christ, sitting down and going through them one after another, just Murdoch literally screaming at you for like two hours. <laughs> true. Like, this is an incredible <laughs> performance from Phil Cornwall. He really goes for it here in a way that none of the voice actors and very few voice actors in general i think ever go for it he he's he's out there all the way out on a list all the this, way out there he goes full murder <laughs> it's true and it's really enjoying and compelling to listen to but it's also an assault like i thought like rise of the ogre tested my tested the limits of my patience for murdoch nichols this like just pushes them past the red and breaks the meter. You're not wrong. If you come out the other side of a, of a Murdoch Pirate Radio marathon loving Murdoch Nichols, then he could do no wrong in your eyes. Or with, like, your sanity. I kind of had a, an interesting experience with it where I found it very breezy and easy up to a point, and then very rapidly I crossed the threshold into which I was like, oh, I wish that I didn't have to do all of this in one sitting. Yeah, I agree with that. I, like, listened to episode one, and I was like, wow, that was great. Then I listened to episode two, and it was just kind of, like, okay, and I was like, all right, it's still, you know, just leave it on. And then, like, halfway in episode three, when he really is just has not stopped screaming, like, that's when it, you start going, wow, I still have a lot of this to get through. So let's talk about how these were available to listen at the time, Trevor. So uh, the first run of four all happened within about a week of each other. So, like, one would air a week later, a second one would air, et cetera, et cetera. That's the first four are like that, okay, Trevor? Okay. And those first four... Uh, were available on gorillas.com from the, the Plastic Beach mini site, but then also were broadcast on NME live, which I guess is how I was listening to it back in 2010 when they originally aired using their, their 
you know, web app or whatever. I really have no memory of listening to these at all. It's crazy, right? It is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we know for, we have evidence that we did. Let's get into the first one. The original, this Pirate Radio number one, or what are, what are these actually called? I've been referring to them as Point Nemo FM. Yeah, because he keeps calling it Point Nemo FM is what he consistently calls it. So yeah. let's call it Point Nemo FM number one, which was originally broadcast on January 21st, uh 2010 mm-hmm. so we're a few months off from the release of uh or a couple months off i guess from the release of plastic beach at this point i think trevor if timelines uh, are correct at this point we've heard stylo uh and we have a track list of plastic beach yeah i think so too i'm just gonna tell you really quickly i have like a modified format for this so i kind of divided each show up into its breaks because you kind of takes a break to play a song. Right. So I, I sort of wrote summaries, but only when there is relevant lore, okay? Because this episode is about lore. They pretty much squeeze all the, like, 90% of the lore into this episode. This one really catches you up on what's been going on and sets the setting for the next album's phase. You'll get little dribs and drabs throughout beyond that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to catch you up on the lore... Murdoch Nichols is at Point Nemo, which is 48 degrees south and 123 degrees west. So, you know, Point Nemo, real place, actual place. It is the point in the ocean farthest from any body of land. It's 1,400 miles to shore. Literally the middle of nowhere. Exactly. Nemo, in fact, is Latin for no one. So it means point no one. And also that dude from uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yes, of course. Captain Nemo. Captain Nemo. And Finding Nemo. And H.P. Lovecraft even selected it as the location of, of uh, Relia, the, the resting place of Cthulhu on Earth. That guy. And in real life, Trevor, it's often used as a as spaceship graveyard. Uh, so, like, when you need to decommission a satellite or a space station, you don't want it to land on anybody's head. Oftentimes, they'll just drop it there. Hmm. NASA even uses it, Trevor... For something called a progress craft. And this is something I'd never thought about or heard of before, Trevor. So imagine you're an astronaut on the International Space Station. You got to get food there, right? You need to periodically be delivered goods to eat. So what they do is they use this thing called a progress craft that will bring you a shipment to the ISS. And then you fill it up with all of your garbage and literal shit. And then this human feces filled spacecraft falls to Earth, and lands in Point Nemo. So literally, imagine tiny spacecraft filled with astronaut poop floating around, and that's Murdoch Nichols' home now. That's a lot grosser than my Imagine You're an Astronaut on a Space Station story from uh, our Humans review. It's true. It's a much crasser sequel. Yeah. <laughs> He's already name-checking the end of the world, which I, I'd kind of forgotten was so explicitly stated in this phase yeah it's a very apocalyptic show and then he, he takes us out of the first break with uh treat me like your mother by the dead weather and gorillas have always kind of been a fan of jack white you know uh i think they named get behind me Satan one of their favorite albums of that year you remember that i do remember that and i also remember that later on in this series they'll play a song by the kills and the dead weather also have a, a member of the kills in it oh okay that brings us to break two let's get a summary of the lore murdoch reveals his vague location a lighthouse on a beach and confesses to having burnt down Kong Studios and skipped town shortly after the Apollo shows in 2008. Now, in Ogre, correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor, I believe they explicitly stated that Kong began to fall apart of its own volition. No tinkering from Murdoch Nichols in that telling of the story. Right, yeah, this is where things start getting kind of murky. It's almost like every phase of Gorillaz 
kind of retcons the last like 10 minutes of the previous one and changes it just enough to kind of create a new story for the new one to happen. Where we can, I want to try to rectify these these things that don't match up. So to me, clearly, he just wasn't telling Cass Brown the whole story. Cass Brown was seeing a partially deconstructed Kong and speculating that it was otherworldly forces when in fact it was Murdoch Nichols. That's how I rectify it. I think Murdoch is like the definition of an unreliable narrator, and I think that plays a large part in all of these uh, all of these episodes. Not much else in this break, though, except for a, a charming little seafaring tale from Kirk Douglas. Listen to Kirk! <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, we should talk about how much shouting oh my. Bill Cornwell he's, doing. He's like fucking off the wall, just yelling like... <laughs> Murdoch's got a story to tell you, and like he's going wild. And that song uh, is from Disney's Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. You'll you'll notice that the the song choices more often than not are very on the nose. Let's get into break three. Here's a summary for you. Murdoch is now in hiding from pirates after selling them fake bombs, and then later giving them guns so that he could get away with his life. And he's also drinking a lot of rum to stave off the loneliness of being all alone on Plastic Beach. And he now starts teasing the existence of new gorillas material. Yes, he's Murdoch is wasted through every episode of this series. It's actually really impressively progressively slurry each episode. Like he sort of vacillates between it. Almost now. like Bill Cornwall was just drinking in the studio. Yes, exactly. It also feels like there's a there's Phil's being very loose with his script. Like he's not afraid to wander off. I, I wanted to ask you that. How much of this do you think is improvised? I think it was a close collaboration between Phil and Cass Brown. I mm. think Cass Brown, as we know, is now working totally alone as the story editor of the Gorillas Project during this phase. God bless him. I would imagine that that before each break, he sort of gave Phil Cornwell the bullet points, right? Mm-hmm. And let let Phil kind of take it away. That would be my imagination of how this worked out. And he takes it quite away. Yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, break four. No notable lore. Uh, Murdoch is definitely getting drunker. He starts to tease the greatest gorilla song ever made, Stinkfish, but he does not play it. Stinkfish becomes a running joke, a little meme of his. And I don't, I don't know how tickled I am by it. I, early on, I'm more tickled by it. It gets really old because it shows, does it show up in every episode? Except for the, the, the very last one, which is not really a Point Nemo FM. Right. Stinkfish is president in every single one. I will say, this in this break in particular, Trevor, there is like a full soundboard worth of great Murdoch Nichols noises. Groans like this is and, yeah. Somebody should like take the 80s cartoon of a Transformer turning into a car or a robot and use it as a Murdoch. That would be great. Next he talks about how he's making Plastic Beach all on his own, right? Yes, but he also reveals that he has gassed and kidnapped 2D right. to force him to sing on a new Gorillaz album. So here, here we establish the Phase 3 Murdoch and 2D relationship for the first time. The dynamic, the boys. He, he name-checks a, a very minor lore character. Did you get this, Trevor? He says, uh, I asked my producer, Lug. <laughs> have, we, have we met Lug in the past? I don't think we've met Lug, huh. but apparently Plastic Beach in-universe was produced by a fella named Lug. Interesting. We don't know anything else about him. He also changed the name of Stinkfish to Quarg. Quarg. I really like him talking about um, Demon Days in retrospect. He says it was awful. Some of it was alright, but most of it was awful. It had too much noodle, not enough Murdoch. <laughs> really good. <laughs> a few times in this in this radio uh, show, he, like, he, he makes a point to Expressed that Plastic Beach is much, much better than anything else they've done. 
Yes. Which half of our listeners would agree. I guess so. At this point, he cues up a song by the horrors. I loved this sequence. Because I love that in, in universe, the horrors are uh, all of Murdoch's sons from different mothers who formed a band together. <laughs> yeah, which I guess is true of maybe many bands. Who yeah. knows? They're a lovely <laughs> bunch of boys. His gothic little angels. My boys. What a bummer that, that the horrors got all this lore because presumably they were going to have a big, a big you know, chunk of seasides was going to feature them. Well, there was that song that we uh, were going to get called Leviathan. <clears throat> yeah, Leviathan, which we'll, yeah. which we'll never see. But, you know, they're that rare band that got in-universe lore and no music release. Did we actually get a clip of Leviathan at some point? I feel like that's wandering around the internet somewhere. Yeah, if you if you YouTube it, you can hear like a really low-cue snippet from it, I think. Hmm. The next break, uh, Murdoch sends a belated birthday wish to Noodle, who has been missing and possibly dead. Since the El Manana video. So now we are for sure contradicting Rise of the Ogre, right? We also get the canonical bit of information that it was the pirates that Murdoch is now running from who shot the windmill down. Yeah, they were in the, the helicopter, the pirates who, who Murdoch is on the run for. I think you can rectify that. I think that you can work out that after he, he got all that money from Demon Days, he started fucking around with arms dealing and it, and it came back to bite him in the ass. You can make that work probably. But I thought in Rise of the Ogre he had Jamie shoot the island down with his with his helicopters or at least that was the plan right the, that was the plan but then there were two mysterious helicopters that were not the ones that they hired for the shoot at the end of rise of the ogre so do you think the pirate helicopters just happened to beat jamie's helicopters there and did what they were going to do anyway yeah that's that's my prediction of what actually happened here it was like there was a double cross on top of a double cross plus a third double cross kind which of which is fun that's pretty fun i actually like that a lot that is fun it becomes a, a denser and denser series of events during the Omegnana shoot. The one part that we need to rectify, though, is this idea that Murdoch has not spoken to or heard from Noodle since that video, which in, in Roto, he he even comes out and says, like, he knows she's in Marrakesh. She helped plan the whole video double cross. She's off on her own doing her own thing. So one of these two Murdoch Nichols is lying if we're going to rectify these storylines. Right. And which one you want to choose to believe says a lot about how you judge the character of Murdoch Nichols. If Rise of the Ogre Murdoch Nichols is lying, then he didn't know what happened to Noodle and was just trying to get Cass Brown off of his back. Likely. Which I kind of like. Yeah. Or he was lying now and he knew more about Noodle being on the down low uh, than he was letting on on pirate radio. I think I like the former. Yeah, I feel like he probably thinks Noodle is dead here. He was bullshitting Cass Brown in Rise of the Ogre. I like that too. Okay, yeah. that's our official, that's yeah. our official wing. And, then. and I mean, I think there's something kind of tragically sad about that too, right? I mean, Murdoch thinking Noodle is dead because of this whole, like, maybe involved with this heist he pulled off with uh, Jimmy Manson, right? And um, yeah. him, bu- him building this robot in her likeness and him wishing her happy birthday on his radio show. It is a little bit tragic, right? Very dark, very dark. Almost like he had this grand master plan and it, it all blew up in his face. And now he's like drinking himself stupid alone on this island. Sad, drunk man wishing his dead friend a happy birthday. Yeah, <laughs> it is pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This break is where we officially get the word that Murdoch uh, has lived 14 times. I, I missed this. What are you talking about? After the break where he wishes Noodle a happy birthday, when they play the Nancy Sinatra song, he says, I've already lived 14 times. More about that in a bit. Does he ever follow up on that? Kind of. This is when we start weaving in this idea of Murdoch being an immortal being, which we will get more about later. We will get more about this a little bit later, especially in, as it pertains to the 
the book of Plastic Beach, which is another confusing lore element that's going right. to start coming into this. Yeah. What I prefer more about this break is that he reveals that he can feel the lining of his throat coming off from drinking cheap rum. <laughs> then he then he plays something from uh, the Harder They Come soundtrack, right? I think he Toots plays... Toots um, the Maytals? Yeah, Toots and the Maytals. That's a great soundtrack, though. It's from this 1970s Jamaican crime film that was like... Uh, the soundtrack is largely considered to have introduced reggae to the world. It starred Jimmy Cliff. And then there's a big there's a big tease. So the episode ends. He's been saying he's going to play Stinkfish or Quark or Stinkfish version 2. Then at the end, he finally finds Plastic Beach, the album, uh, in, among his rubble and trash. And he, he decides not to play anything. And I remember, uh, well, I don't remember, but looking at my reaction at the time, I was, I was very peeved, Trevor, that he'd been, play, he'd been teasing that there would be new Gorillaz uh, music and, and pulled out at the last second on that. Wait, so there was a big Gorillaz event and you were left disappointed? Yeah, right? Isn't that interesting? Whoa. <laughs> at least that would never happen again, right? No, of course not. And he also outros this, as he does with every episode, with the song I Want to Marry a Lighthouse Keeper by Erica Elgin. But I wanted to ask you, should we change our sign-off to uh, Remember Boys and Girls, Satan Loves You? Or should we just include <laughs> it as a clip at like the end of every episode as like the stinger? I consider, I consider using it as our sign-off, at least every now and then. All right, all right. Pirate Radio number two! Point FM. This one was broadcast on February 3rd. So yeah, roughly a week later. A little bit more, mm-hmm. but roughly a week later. This one was like a little inessential, I thought. We can barrel through this yeah. one. Break one, no relevant lore. Uh, Murdoch is haunted in his dreams by a huge-headed pirate. Mm-hmm. This time he's definitely going to play Stinkfish, and it's definitely going to be called Stinkfish. Yeah. What does it turn out to be? Two binge. To binge, yeah. To binge. Right. We crank things up in the unhinged category. This definitely. episode in general is much oh, yeah. more manic. Second break, nothing happens, although Murdoch does reveal that he sees uh, spiders and flies when he's sobering up from, from drinking rum. I decided to ask Shelly about it, my, my significant other, since she is a, a physician, and she said, hallucinations can happen from alcohol withdrawal, but only if you have a serious dependency. Which, you know, no surprise there. He also plays Sail on Sailor by the Beach Boys, and I fucking love that song, Trevor. That was a good one, yeah. He plays, I, I like a lot of his choices, especially the one he closes this episode with, um, People Who Died by Jim Carroll Band. Really dug that one. That was like a song I would have like closed my like college radio show with. In the third break, we, we do get some lore. A book has washed up on the beach. It is called Plastic Beach, and it documents the entire history of man. Uh, and we learn that Murdoch, who is now revealed to be immortal in some capacity, has seen most of this firsthand. Sure. He started the Great Fire of London in 1966. Sure. He survived the bubonic plague, et cetera, et cetera. So this sure. is this is... Still being committed to in Phase 4, Trevor. Or is this, you know, Murdoch just, you know. Perhaps. But as of Phase 4, if you ask Murdoch Nichols, he still says... He's an immortal being. It's up to us. It's up to us to decide if that's true or not. In quick succession, we get a little snippet of Tabinge, which he, he introduces as Pink Stinkfish. Yep. And then he plays the Gap Band, and he plays the Kinks. That Kinks song was really good. It's great, and I was really touched by the fact that he, he enters it by going, I do miss England. I thought that was sweet. Yeah. Uh, break four. Nothing happens. He says, I set this radio station up so I, because I wanted you to hear me mentally disintegrate on air. Which that's, is that's a, good a really good description of what's going on. And then we get a little uh, clip of, of White Flag. He just plays the uh, the orchestral part, right? Yeah, I'm done hearing that band forever. Yeah, I'm tired think, of that, I think I'm fine with it. Break five. Nothing happens. I mean, seriously, nothing happens. He talks about not knowing who played on the Gorillaz album and that he's going to figure it out by next week. 
Uh, and then episode two is over, and, and, you know, like you said, maybe a bit inessential in this series. Yeah. I honestly, it's, I, I almost like it's the point where I think all you really need to do as like a Gorillaz fan, if you want an idea, like as a casual Gorillaz fan, if you just want an idea of what this phase was like, I think you really only need to listen to the first episode. Well, all we get is that one break, right? That one break where we reveal the existence of the Plastic Beach book and, and perhaps tease the idea that Murdoch is some sort of supernatural, eternal soul. I'm going to say that kind of stuff is a level below casual gorillas fan interest it's useful i guess if you want to be like oh i know what they're referencing when that kind of thing occasionally comes up yeah in an interview or whatever although i totally forgot about that book thing me too no memory of plastic nope. beach the book and it comes up again and again yeah okay let's get into pirate radio 3 episode 3 this was february 16th 2010 but it actually leaked a day early yeah, that's right. 2010 leaking. Who is leaking these things? How does that happen, right? Somebody at NME Radio? Jeez, yeah, I don't know. So in the first break, we get no lore. Uh, Murdoch does reveal that he's stuck. Is that plot development? He says he's stuck on Point Nemo. Okay. He also calls it a stinking plastic dump, which apparently later uh, Kano and Bashi will try to pick up chicks on. Yeah, I really like back when he referred to it in episode one as a um, brand new stinking palace of sin. Yeah, that's great too, isn't yeah. it? I love Plastic Beach as a setting. I really do. It's really good. I was thinking, what are some other albums that are named after the places where they were recorded? Can you think of any off the top of your head? Uh, yeah, Music for Big Pink by the band, okay. of course, named after the Big Pink house that they used to record in. Mm -hmm. And later, Trevor, the one of the tallest buildings in the city of Portland, which has a weird pink sheen to it, was named Big Pink after that album. Okay. I was thinking um, the first answer that pops into my mind was... Uh, Merryweather Post Pavilion by Animal Collective. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think Grizzly Bear also re uh, released an album that same year named after where they recorded. Right off the bat, he, he premieres a snippet of Rhinestone Eyes, and he calls it Stink Fish, and of then course. later he calls it Pepper Larch. Pepper Larch. It was very funny, because he premieres uh, Sweet Steaks and Rhinestone Eyes on this episode, Trevor, and I was looking at the Gorillas Unofficial thread at the time, and already the vast consensus was that Rhinestone Eyes is one of the greatest things this band has ever done, and, yes. and, and Sweet Steaks is terrible. We'd already made our mind up. Already, already you guys had, had gotten into the lockstep, yep. and poor Dylan was left behind. <laughs> Do you remember listening to the, uh, those two songs for the first time and developing the exact opposite opinions immediately, I imagine? I remember Rhinestone Eyes happening, and my feeling was that it was like filler, and it felt like retreading territory we'd already been to, mm -hmm. uh, with Damon using his usual rappy cadence. And Sweet Steaks being an immediate, like, whoa, this is unlike anything this band has ever done before, and I'm so excited by it moment for me. And you're still so wrong about Rhinestone Eyes all these years later. It's a shame, right? Yeah. In the next break, he, he finally gives a full physical description of what Plastic Beach is. So theoretically, if you're listening to this radio thing in the moment and you don't know any of the lore yet, this is when you learn that it is a coagulation of all the world's trash that's come together to form a new floating putrid landmass, of which Murdoch Nichols is the self-elected El Presidente, Trevor. King Gorilla. He's a, he's a head of state, officially. He then plays the Raven by the Stranglers. No mention explicitly of Cortez in this phase. Is there? Is Cortez ever shown? I don't think so. He must have flown the coop during the fire. I guess so. I guess so. Rest in peace, Cortez, wherever you are. Maybe you're still alive. Wherever you are. Maybe he went back to La Mesa State Prison to be a jailbird like, his, like in his old days. Possibly. Or maybe 
Maybe Jamie Hewlett is his new owner. Oh, that's true. Maybe canonically that Jamie Hewlett's Pat Raven is Cortez. That'd be awesome. I think that makes sense. That's what I'm going to go with. That's my head cannon. I like it. Uh, in the third, we got to have head cannon because the real cannon is a, is a jumbled mess. Yeah. So. Uh, in the third break, there's no lore, but uh, it is notable that that Murdoch like verbally pantomimes jerking off. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. That happens a couple times. I feel like over the course of these shows. Talks about his dick a little bit. He says it shrivels up to be like a baby carrot. And yet, and yet, there's less Murdoch Nichols disgusting lecture on display than you might expect in this. Right, because so much of it is devoted to his complete mental breakdown. We don't really get... I think he's so preoccupied with alcoholism that there's no room for sex. I right. think that's his issue. Yeah. Although there is a later episode where he talks about wanting to bring uh, one of the actresses uh, from East EastEnders to the island and have sex with her. That is a thing that happens. You're yeah. not wrong. Mm-hmm. He also plays 2,000 Light Years from Home uh, by the Rolling Stones from their worst album, Satanic Majesty's Request, except for maybe some of their later things. You can't tell me that Satanic Majesty's Request is their worst album. Well, let's say worst of the pre-mid-1980s <laughs> Rolling Stones album. Uh, I still might argue with you uh, with you on that, but let's keep going. It's just some coattail chasing. It's still a good record. Anyway. Stones wishing they were the Beatles. Anyway. Okay, so break four, we find out that, uh, that Murdoch confesses to having chloroformed and kidnapped every collaborator on Plastic Beach to make them play on the record. So there, I'm sure there's some fun stories behind that. And he also says he's been traveling the world in disguise. Wasn't at the beginning of this episode, didn't he say that he's stuck on this island? Maybe now he is, but before he was able to... I guess that's true. Yeah, maybe maybe so. His submarine broke. He also, this is where he teases uh, sweepstakes, and he calls it Salmon on Rye with no title to go. That's probably... My favorite of the of the fake uh, track titles. Of that is a good series. one. Yeah, I I think I like um Little House on the Stinkfish best. <laughs> That's the best of the Stinkfish ones. I think. Yeah, yeah. In the next break, Murdoch reveals that uh, the Plastic Beach book predicts the end of the world, Trevor. And who better to usher it in, says Murdoch, than gorillas? Very, very parallel with your theory of what gorillas truly are. They're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the way he puts it is that time, all nature, and the fabric of reality is going to implode on itself. It had to be here. It had to be now. It had to be this plastic beach. And it had to be us, gorillas, who hailed this horrible transition. Point Nemo! No man's land, the end of days, the, the little whimper to finish off the big bang! He plays a Blondie song. I love Blondie. Do you like Blondie? Blondie's great, dude. I love, love Blondie. I always fancied her. You always see those old show posters from like the early CG, CBGB days where it's like, tonight, Talking Heads, Blondie, and television, $5. Can you fucking imagine? Oh my God. <laughs> fucking asshole. Jesus. I want to go to that. <laughs> yeah, I love Blondie. Debbie Harry. Uh, Debbie Harry. What an amazing talent and a, and a, and a, a true cocaine veteran. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Next break, no new lore. He just babbles about how it's exciting that there's a new album coming out, and he plays a song called Night of the Vampire by the Moon Trekkers. Uh, break after that, there's no new lore, but he does tease that there will be a guest on next week's episode, Trevor. Right, a lovely little blue-haired creature that we all know and love. Yes, that's right, 2D himself. Stuart Pot will be on Pirate Radio number four. Let's talk about that now, then. It opens with um a great clip of the soundtrack from Cape Fear. Oh, I think in general, Pirate Radio number four is the strongest episode and has the best playlist. I think this is my favorite playlist of all of them. I would say number one, episode number one, number two would be five, and then four would probably be three. I don't know. Five is really good, though. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, okay. Anyway, this is a, this is a great episode, and I love that that playlist. We start out with that Phil Spector girl group, the Shangri Laws, without on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first break, there's no new uh, lore, but uh, we do learn that Murdoch has invented a cocktail. It's called the Point Nemo Special on the Rocks, and it is Captain Morgan's rum and Rohypnol, which is roofies. So he's great. just roofing himself he's at this point. Himself. Great, great. <laughs> And then he plays that great Tom Waits song, right? Yes, he plays The Ocean Doesn't Want Me Today by Tom Waits. So great. Would not be opposed to a Gorillaz Tom Waits collaboration. There's like spoken word Tom Waits uh, pieces from the 90s. I think there's that one. And then there's What's He Building in there? Hell yeah. That one's really good too. Yeah. Okay. And then in the second break, Murdoch lets 2D out of his dungeon to say hello and uh, fully unveils their new violent dynamic. Yeah. I really felt that slap. I really felt that slap. It's not the only one you feel, too. It happens a couple times. It happens a few times. Yeah, later episodes, yeah. A really muted performance here by Nelson. 2D's sort of vibe in this phase is like sad 2D, and uh, he sells it really nicely, I think. Yeah, I understand that they wanted to really go with that dynamic they went for. Like, why do you think there wasn't more 2D in these shows? That's a good question. Because he's barely there. Even in this episode, he only has like four or five lines, maybe. I wonder if it boils down to it. So we know that the reason that, that we didn't have any uh, Noodle is A, the lore, and B, Kuroda, or whatever her name is, had re- temporarily retired to go off and have a baby, and they just didn't feel like casting a new person. And, you know, there's lore reasons why Russell isn't there. Looking at now, Trevor, at how Nelson DeFridis has sort of been recast out of this, I wonder if they felt that they were hitting the limits of that performance from him, maybe? like Yeah, maybe he just, maybe it stopped coming out of him. He doesn't really do any of the falsetto stuff here, although he does sound a little more like uh, typical 2D once you get into the fall episode. He's very, very sullen in this Mm -hmm. episode. Calls Murdoch a tosser. In a way where I felt the hate in his voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very, it was palpable. They they premiere a little bit of Pirate Jet, just a little bit. Britt Eklund comes up, we talk about Britt Eklund again. Right, yeah, Wicker Man. And then we hear her sing. Uh, Willow song from the Wickerman soundtrack. Made it through two phases now. No mention of her this time around, though. Although I guess we'll see, right? We'll see. Anything else happened before he ethers 2D and put him puts him back in his box? Oh, there's this amazing section where he plays a poem called Nature Boy by Eden Navis. Oh, this part was great. I loved and, this. And, and he does was... commentary over it. Yeah. And I left with them. Did you go with them? They didn't know. No, 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 of course not. They were the ones. Yes, of course. I knew that. I knew that. And so I found my way. Yeah, how? And found my home. Well, how did you do that? On Eden's Island. Did you? Well, just found it. Where the wind has been telling the truth. Ah, uh, always. Never lies. Forever. Yeah. And ever. Why not forever? No, about a month. It's changed, hasn't it? In the last month or so, it started to be more honest, I think, the wind. Yeah, so that's like a weird poetry LP, I guess, from the 60s by a guy named Eden Abbas. And, uh, and... and then, like I said earlier, he drugs 2D and puts them away. Yeah, he... he Which he... is kind of almost... It's a, it's a little rough to listen to. It is rough to listen to. This made me feel like have a much deeper emotional reaction than the Omignana video did. Yeah. You know what? That's, that's, I, I would have to agree with that. Like Murdoch drugging 2D and him struggling to get away. Like that, that was rougher. That like actually moved the needle for me in a way that, that the Omignana video just didn't, you know? Well, I've, I've always been more invested in the 2D Murdoch relationship than pretty much anything to do with gorillas. He also premieres a little bit of Empire Ants, and he calls it <laughs> Skid It Into Your Cake Hole. That is my favorite fake title he gives. <laughs> Whoops, I just skidded into your cake hole. So that concludes the original run, and then much later, Trevor, so that, that one, as I said, debuted on February 22nd of 2010, 
Murdoch's Pirate Radio 5 or Point Nemo FM 5 is April 8, 2011. So this is after after the album came out, after the tour came out. After the fall came out on as a download. Right. This is when the fall is coming out on CD. You access this, Trevor, by like playing a mini game on the Plastic Beach site. Was that the escape to Plastic Beach one with like a you had to fly or something? I know eventually you ended up in the lighthouse with reels of tape, but I can't remember anything else beyond that. Okay, so this is long, Trevor. This one was like two hours, right? Yes, and there's a lot With more music. music in it. There is a lot yeah. more music in it. This is a proper episode of a radio show. I think if you strip all of the music out, except for maybe the Detroit section, you would probably have over 30 minutes of talk. Yeah, I think it comes out to be like 40, 45 minutes or something like that. This is where I really started to struggle, even though I do think it's a good episode. Yeah, I actually listened to this um, back when we were doing our fall episode, so it was pretty fresh for me. What do you think of that bit at the very beginning of the of the episode where he goes, Congratulations, you solved Mission 2! Yeah, that was a little... <laughs> That was a little, like, I did not remember, like, that, I, I totally forgot that there were games on Plastic Beach and you unlocked, like, didn't you unlock, like, a pirate jet instrumental at one point? It's like that weird moment in a video game where the voice actors are, are referencing game mechanics where they're like, yeah. press the A button to shoot your yeah. weapon. If you want to hear what I just said again, press the X button by standing in front of it. Yeah, stuff like that. Totally. And Murdoch says that we will be listening to Song from the Fall today and listen to Song from the Fall we will, Trevor. None of this none of this clip bullshit where it's full tracks. Right, of course when he's finally playing full Gorillaz tracks, it's stuff from the fall. Hooray! By the way, if you're a fall fan, better track this one down, because this is like a, a feast of Gorillaz lore about the fall. There might be more lore about the fall than any other Gorillaz album. Yeah, and including a live performance of one of the tracks. Break 2, Murdoch uh, reveals that he has lost signal for nine months while Gorillaz tour the globe. This is like some very obvious sort of sweaty, desperate stopgap lore uh, to cover up the fact that I think at this point, Trevor, Gorillaz has basically fallen apart behind the scenes. I think, so, like, you mean the, the relationship between the animated side of the band and the music side of the band? Yeah, and, and by the time it was decided that the fall would be the CD release to fulfill the contractual obligation that Gorillaz had to Parlophone that year, I believe Damon had decided that he was going to take his seasides and, and go home. Ooh, really? Yeah, I think that's, as, as far as fan speculation goes, this was like, this was dark waters. This was some, mm. some low, low moments. I would love to talk to Cass Brown about writing this episode in particular and what the vibe around the project was at the time. Cass, please come on the show. Come on the show, Cass. Come, come on, on the, the show, show, Cass. Just come on the show, Cass. In the third break, 2D is on his way, but he's not there yet. And right. Murdoch says that he made it with his face and an iPad. In the fourth break, okay, here we go. Here's the big lore dump. Are you ready? Hit me with it. Pirates are here, and they're attacking Plastic Beach. Murdoch explains that he was locked in his dressing room for every single date on the Gorillaz World Tour. 2D arrives, and they start to discuss 2D's solo album, The Fall. I really like um, the destruction of Plastic Beach being the framing device for this episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. I really consider, like, this episode... I know we get, like, one more thing about uh, Do You Thing after this, but I really do consider this pirate episode to be uh, kind of the finale of Phase 3, I think. Yeah, absolutely, and and maybe even backdoor and a, a potential finale for the whole project if things have really gone south from there. It could have been, yeah. But, you know, it's like that old screenwriting trick where if, if the third act, if you can stage it either in a room where nothing's happening or on the rooftop of a burning building, then certainly stage it on the rooftop of a burning building. And that's what they do. That's what Cass Brown does. Here's a little bit of a, a burn from Murdoch about the fall. Murdoch, in general, seems supportive of the fall, but I think if you read between the lines, he's, he expresses a bit of distaste. 
he calls it a sonic reminder of the original power of the gorillas. Okay, yeah. It's a little harsh. Do you think, so you think he's just kind of being a good salesman here? I think so. I think that off the mic, he's still terrorizing 2D. He calls his album a piece of garbage, but he wants you to buy it because he'll get more money uh, if you do. Mm-hmm. He plays Phone to Arizona. Thank God. What a great song. And we get that great description of 2D from 2D talking about how it's like the soundtrack to a horror train yeah, that their tour buses train. basically became. Yeah, really cool. The next break, no new lore. Uh, the fall out now on CD. 2D kind of waxes on the meaning of Revolving Door. And uh, and Murdoch does here name drop his latest UK celebrity crush. That's uh, Kara Toynton, the lady from EastEnders. Yep. Looking at her, it seems consistent with a lot of his past celebrity crushes. He has sort of the he likes, a, he likes a cherubic, sort of angelic face. That seems to be his thing. He's got a type. We play Revolving Doors. And then I like that he segues right out of it into America by Simon and Garfunkel. If you were going to make like an, an album of companion songs for the fall, that would certainly be on it. Nothing new lore-wise in the next break, but uh, Murdoch gets to pick the next song. He picks Amarillo, which he says is the standout number on this album. But then he claims that he plays the bass on this song, Trevor, and that Charlie Sheen played Maracas on it. Yeah, he gives a whole long list of fictional collaborators. Yeah, like so many. Like Bono. Ba- uh, Bono in the corner watching his big shoes with his shades on. And then there's <laughs> looking very relaxed Adolf Hitler on vibes. I think Princess Diana and Liberace are there too. Introducing Liberace. Death is no uh, mitigating factor for appearing on a Gorillaz album, Trevor. No, I mean, Del the Funky Homo Sapien taught us that. I also like here that Murdoch points out how odd it is that 2D speaking and singing voices sound so different. Well, he had all that vocal coaching from Damon Auburn. I love when Cass, like, circles real-life shit. He, like, he goes up and puts his hands on the fourth wall, but he doesn't yeah, break but he through doesn't it. Yeah, he doesn't quite break through it. I really like yeah. it when he does that. In the seventh break, no new lore, but, uh, but he introduces a... Uh, Bobby and Phoenix, and then they just play like a fucking huge playlist of stuff. I think Murdoch punches 2D at some point in this, but he plays another Stones cut. He plays a, a cut by CSS. Do you remember CSS, Trevor? Vaguely. They were like a Brazilian electro flash band. Man, they yeah. were like a huge thing for five minutes. Uh, for five minutes, yeah, if that. And then maybe the funniest thing, or the funniest little joke uh, on this episode for me is when uh, is when. He says, uh, uh, the good thing about having your own radio station is you can play whatever you want, whenever you want, for as long as you want. And then he plays a 12 and a half minute long ambient drone song. Great. <laughs> Perfect. Maybe maybe his finest hour as a DJ on these really things, Really good. I think. We hear some explosions. Things are getting a little bit more impressionistic here, Trevor, in terms of moving the plot. We're, we don't even hear commentary. We just hear gunfire and explosions encroaching on the lighthouse booth. But we do find out that apparently Murdoch played a little plastic trumpet on a on a cut by a, a Congolese uh, rumba band called Franco. The the song is Enzorba. So perhaps Enzorba belongs in the pile with like uh, FM and Small Time Shot Away. Yeah, why didn't we cover that in Rarity's Roulette? Gotta love a featuring gorilla, individual gorilla credit, right? Just like FM, yeah. And then in the next break, okay, okay. So this is my clip. This is the clip that I've chosen. It is okay. It is Murdoch's news break, <laughs> in which he catches this all up on what's been going on in the world. I'm glad you chose this one because it was in my top three that I wanted to pick. Here it is. Right then, uh, what's in the news today on this wicked, evil planet Earth? Hmm. Right, let's see. Uh... 
President Obama resigns from the music industry, stating he can understand why everyone hates him and his success with Genesis in the 80s. Meanwhile, wonky-titted cock juggler Katie Price has entered Libya at 130 miles an hour. Amy Winehouse, Iran's chief nuclear negotiator, resigns, having been cleared of ex-Big Brother contestant Lady Princess Diana's car crash. She's all like, you know, whatever. Mass murderer Peter Andre is all geared up for a summer election, and Shane TV presenters Prince William and Harry will attend the final in Moscow, co-hosted by my partner David Furnish. In other news, President Sarkozy chucks up his oil spillage into another no-fly zone. Sarah Palin is jackknifed on the M4. And finally, as always, Kate Moss. And that's the news as it happens all the time, every time. That was, uh, that was magical. Thanks, thanks, Cass and Phil. That was some, some great work from the both of you. Thanks, guys. Also, how nonchalant is the reveal here, Trevor, that Russell and Noodle are back? He just like... Yeah, he just kind of squeezes it in. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're back. He's like, oh, Russell's huge now. They're back. Also, this is like the first time we've mentioned that, yeah, Russell got really big swimming to Plastic Beach. So, at this point, the gorillas are all living on Plastic Beach together, right? They haven't relocated yet to the Do Your Thing house? Yeah, I think canonically, everybody is on the island and pirates are converging. That's where we are in the story. I think, in my opinion, Do Your Thing raises some questions about whether any of this is happening at all. Well, it's one or the other, isn't it? We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. The next break is is probably the the most magical. It's the jam session of Detroit between Murdoch and 2D. Yeah, this is a joy. Like, one of the lighter moments in the entire Gorillaz story. Especially to come at, like, such a dark chapter. If you're going to use this episode as your excuse to not have to listen to Murdoch's Pirate Radio, I I guess I support that. But you kind of owe it to yourself to go listen to this, because it's very fun. It's a nice 2D Murdoch moment. In Break 11... Murdoch has found the beginning chapters of Plastic Beach, the book, starting with the Big Bang, and the pirates are closing in on him. You can hear them entering in the studio, uh, and, and he says, I'll, tru- I'll tell the truth next time about everything. The island, the tour, the boogeyman, and then you just hear, you know, explosions and gunfire, almost like Cass Brown understands that the whole story has fallen apart and he's answered no questions it's really good i think this is a total success i almost kind of want to play this clip too would you mind well that's it say goodbye 2d oh goodbye goodbye cruel world for now i'll be back though i'll be back And that's the conclusion of uh, Gorilla's Phase 3, I think. That's, this is the closing of the book for me. Right. So then there is technically one more episode, Trevor. There is. If, there if is. If you want to call it that. And, and there's Do Your Thing in general, but I think that's kind of more of a postscript. That was the grand finale. But yeah, still, let's talk about this stuff. Okay, so then, then what happened was Jamie and, and Damon wanted nothing to do with each other, and then a shoe company offered them some money. <laughs> <laughs> so they called Cass Brown and said, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> okay, so I want to give a little bit behind the scenes peek here, Trevor, because uh, we found one through four, and we were like, great, all four pirate radios. And then I found the fifth one, the fall one, and you were like, fuck, there's five of them? Yeah, and it was two hours long. <laughs> and then a day later, I was like, shit, there's a sixth one about doing things. And I guess you missed the part that it was about the thing. Because then later, as I was listening to this one, I was like, 
Jeez, this Do You Think Pirate Radio was so far off my radar. I had I had no idea this existed. And then you, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read word for word what you wrote to me. Okay. Sure. Go ahead. So you you <laughs> so you went, Dylan, stop finding new episodes for fuck's sake. And then you were like, oh oh, it's the same one you found last time. And then you said, I legit just had a panic attack that you'd found like another hour's <laughs> worth of content. <laughs> Don't let what I'm about to say give you in any expectations about how I may or may not feel about these radio shows, but I would do anything not to have to listen to, like, several hours worth of stuff I still need to get through. I, I can only imagine the, the terror you must have felt in that moment. It was it was just a lot to get through. It feels good, though, that we finally reached the end of the uh, our gorilla's exploration, our lore deep dive. As Morrissey said, the last mile is the longest mile. For sure, I was about to say. So it's like it's like... It's like 10 mini-episodes. The whole thing can't be longer than 20 minutes all put together. No, no. But it also was really fucking rough to get through. Because the whole thing is Murdoch stretching and not revealing information. Yeah, let's just let's barrel through these. There's really not that much to say, okay? Yeah. So, episode 1, January 31st, 2012, Murdoch's announcement. By the way, these premiered on Converse.com. And you can still hear them on a, on a Murdoch official SoundCloud page. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily recommend that you do, but you can't. Yeah. Summary, Murdoch breaks the silence to sell you shoes and gets back to what he does best, stealing other artists' demos. Okay, so this was new. I didn't know about this whole lore angle, Trevor, of Murdoch uh, stealing Andre and and James's parts for the song, of them not being willing collaborators. I do like that. Right, this is fun. First of all, though, before we talk about that, I want to kind of establish the setting for episode six first. Oh, yeah, go for it. We're off Plastic Beach now. It's been destroyed. I assume we are in the Do You Think house? That's the home base for this this episode. And like everything, he won't come right out and tell you. He says, all will be revealed in time. I, I, again, I like the new lore about Do You Think that I, well, not new, but new to me, because I was not at all paying attention to that side of the band at this point. Yeah. The band is back. Noodle and Russell and Murdoch and 2D all play on the song, according to Murdoch Nichols. Okay. Episode two. Uh, summary. Murdoch announces that there will be an announcement. <laughs> He says February 9th. He's going to tell you everything. He's really just drag on. He does a, He does kind of shout out Rebecca Black when he says, We so excited. Remember her? I do not. Friday, the song with the, the terrible lyrics and the young girl. Oh, Rebecca Black. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. We so excited. That was such a big thing. Episode 3, Murdoch announces Gorilla's collaborators, 9th of February 2012. Uh, summary, he uh, tells you the release date and reveals that LCD Sound System and, and Outcast are kind of gorillas adjacent now. It's weird hearing Phil Cornwall say LCD Sound System for some reason. Doesn't it feel a little bit like, yeah, it almost seems like two eras of music or something? It, it feels like my dad trying to talk to me about indie music. It does kind of, right? Yeah. He said that a baboon-like creature delivered uh, a letter to him demanding that he return the stolen tapes to uh, to Andre and James. And apparently he, at the end, narrowly avoids being killed by a bomb, or perhaps is killed and regenerates. His 15th life. Episode 4, a camera crew pays a visit to Gorillaz HQ. That's 13th February 2012. Um, Murdoch is on the set of the filming of the Do You Thing video. Here's one interesting little tidbit, though, Trevor. He's he's cataloging past Gorillaz headquarters. He won't quite tell you where he is now. Right. But he's like, there was Con Studios, and then Plastic Beach, and then Gorillaz Underwater Fighting School. Which I would enroll in. It'd be awesome if that was like the setting of Seasides. That'd be awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, holding up hope for Phase 5. Yeah, at this point, I guess Andre and James have decided that they like the song enough to appear in the music video, but there's still a beef. It's still, they're still beefing at this point. Right. Episode 5, Do Your Thing is out now, February 21st, 2012. Uh, it's free to download on Converse.com forever. Fun. <laughs> they squashed the beef. No more beef. We're really powering through this. Episode 6, Countdown to Do Your Thing video begins. Uh, Murdoch's seen the finished Do Your Thing video. Also, here's where he reveals that Plastic Beach sunk. It sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Okay, that checks out. I think I remember that happening. Episode 7, Do You Think video released 29th of February. That's the announcement of the release date. And then episode 8, Do You Think video released today. Again, the title is the summary. Uh, but I do love, there's a great line. And tell me if you think if this is if this is a secretly about Damon and Jamie, okay? Uh, he goes, world tours, platinum albums, Grammys, novellas, all of this tore us apart. But a shoe deal with Converse, it's like virtual glue. That's the power of quality footwear, isn't it? I mean, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I would love to know what was going on here between David and Jamie during this whole period. Yeah, what must have their relationship been like at this moment? I wonder if they were, like, using people to talk to each other from their different offices. Jamie getting in shots where he could by completely fading out do your thing during the music video. Yeah, exactly. Do you think do you think Damon saw that and he was like, look what he did. Look what he fucking did, this asshole. Right, pacing back and forth smoking a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good fifteen seconds of the song that you can't hear. Right. Episode my do you think extended version out now? Uh summary Murdoch gets a letter from his attorney. Uh he also calls the song the Gorilla's Requiem. That made me feel very sad. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, I guess they really were operating under the idea that this might have been the last thing they ever did as the project. I know, it certainly Cass Brown at least was. Yeah. I also like that the letter that Murdoch received from his attorney says that uh, now that the extended version of the song is out, this must be incorporated into the gorilla storyline. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Cass Brown. Clearly. Yeah, Cass, you're not done yet. And then finally, we end with uh, episode 10, Sayonara from Murdoch Nichols, released February 29, 2012. Uh, Murdoch is evicted from Gorilla's HQ. He says he's off to Marrakesh to uh, teach parakeets how to fly on the water. And that's... That may have been the entire gorilla's story. But it's not. And so now we have the awkward position of, of revealing that there's an alternate ending to Phase 3. Right. It's the one we're living in, right? Detailed in this series of Instagram posts they made. Yeah, I think so. So these came out, they were posted to Instagram, and then also I think it was Twitter Stories or something like that. Uh, this was kind of like the big coming out party for Phase 4. We knew that there was a new Gorillaz album coming, but this was like the first official material from the band this is the uh catch-up portion of we are the dury for phase four where you just find out what everybody's been doing in the interim and looking at this trevor it really feels like this with some amendments must have been jamie's end game for phase three from the start because it really does sort of pick up where we left off we knew that there was going to be a, a ton more lore leading into the next album the seasides album right so we started with the book of noodle and each one, by the way, Trevor has like a little, its own summary. So I'll give you their little teaser and then my summary, okay? Since these are technically books, I'm going back to our Rise of the Ogre format, FYI. Discussion questions included. Oh, boy. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, boy. The Book of Noodle. She drifted away from Plastic Beach to safety, or so she thought. Years later, Noodle is face-to-face with pure evil. Will she prevail? Uh, summary. Noodle washes up on the shores of a Japanese fishing village, where she accidentally unleashes an ancient evil 
who she must assassinate after it takes on the form of a powerful Yakuza crime boss. Okay, so we meet some new lore characters, Trevor. We meet Chiyoko, who's an old pearl diver who is Nurse Noodle back to health. We meet Mazu, who's a shape-shifting devil that was imprisoned in a giant clamshell. Right. And also as a little throwback, Noodle FedExes herself to West London at the end, care of Murdoch Nichols. So, Which is very nice, full circle kind of stuff. It's, yeah, it's kind of funny. It'd be hard to fit her in. She's bigger. It'd be much more yeah. expensive to ship her. Yeah. E- each episode kind of ends with, with the band member reuniting with Murdoch in London, you know? Mm-hmm. This is a cute little uh, Noodle one-shot fanfic. I love the the picture. I love all these pictures, actually. Yeah, of her having just killed the uh, Yakuza boss. That was really good. Yeah, all of these are like sort of written around this big tableau picture of a scene from this story uh, with the band member in it. So this one is like Noodle having just cut off uh, the head of Mizzou, which brings me to my my discussion question, Trevor. Okay, hit me with it. Noodle's body count now stands at three that we know of because she definitely collaborated in the murder of of Jimmy Manson. She shot up that that fighter pilot in the On Melancholy Hill video, and now she's cut off this immortal demon's head. You're you're better at this than me. What is Noodle's D and D alignment? Noodle's D and D alignment. I think, as a whole, gorillas are chaotic good. Okay, okay, but don't you think that? I wonder. Noodle, I would say, is probably lawful good. That's probably that. That seems about right. Except for lawful's weird because that's why I wonder if 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 did Murdoch just make up the whole Noodle was in on the Jimmy Manson thing because it doesn't feel in character for her to be like. Sure, let's murder this guy with with Murdoch. You know that seems weird. I mean, the D and D alignments aren't set in stone. That's true. There are exceptions to everyone. Just because like murdering Jimmy Manson wasn't technically the right thing to do, it might have been right from a kind of moral standpoint that Noodle was looking at it from. That still kind of aligns with her own personal moral code. Yeah, I could see that too. I could see mm-hmm. that too, Trevor. I buy that. Yeah. Uh, next is the Book of Russell. Their tease for it is discovering that life in a glass dome is not all it's cracked up to be. Russell, Russell shakes off his mistaken identity, but will he ever make it back to St. Shores? Summary. Giant Russell is harpooned off the coast of Japan, separated from Noodle, and carried by the tides to North Korea, where he's put on display as a freak show, until small portions cause him to shrink back to his normal size. So he is released to London, where he sleeps on Jeff Wooten's futon, which almost rhymes. You think maybe they might need to read it, Jeff Wutan's Wutan? Maybe. It's better than Cass's ass, right? That's true. We, we learn yeah. uh, about a couple of things here. We meet the glorious leader, who's the head of state of North Korea, also referred to as Kim. He isn't explicitly called Kim Jong-un, but let's go ahead and assume it, I guess. Right, and he kind of has that whole, like, legendary mythos about him, too. Yes, and then we also hear of Pulgasari, who's, who's like a kaiju, like a, a Godzilla giant monster. Uh, from North Korean folklore, which which the North Koreans assumed Russell was when he showed up in like his giant form. That's a striking image, though, isn't it, Trevor? Of Russell, like in North Korea, like looking like King Kong monster, like surrounded by spectators. Yeah, that is a that's a cool piece of artwork. Yeah, it's like it's very it's very dark. It's very troubling looking, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, okay, discussion question. Between his mental instability and his tendency to attract supernatural phenomena. Russell seems like one of the most interesting gorillas on paper. Why then do you think Jamie is so reluctant to give him anything to do? That's that's a question I've been asking myself for more than 10 years now. I mean, I feel like here at the end of the lore, it's time for us to finally broach the topic. Russell is fucking backseated, man. He's, yeah. he's got nothing he to didn't do even, here. He, doesn't, he didn't even have a 3D model in the strobe light video. He was just a 2D drawing of Russell that was asleep. Like, that's, yeah. that's so sad. <laughs> that's so sad. And like, 
his voice actor is always on deck, too? Like, I don't understand. Remy Kawaka was there at the shoot, man. Let Russell do something. What do you make of that? Why? Why is Jamie fucking relegating him? I don't know. You almost want to play the race card. It's so tempting. <sighs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. Here's the bonus question that's a little less of a downer. Do you think that Russell also made a scrapped album with Jeff Wooten while he was crashing at his place like he did with Ike Turner? Oh, I hope so. What would that one have been called? <laughs> I'm all for it. Jeff Wooten, come on the show! Come on the show, Jeff. Uh, next is the Brooklyn Murdoch. Here's the here's their tease. Murdoch abandoned the pirate-infested plastic beach with only a cyborg noodle for company and nowhere near enough booze. What will he do when it all runs out? A summary. Murdoch flees the pirate-invaded plastic beach with cyborg noodle only to be intercepted by EMI, who imprisoned him. Three years later, Warner Music offers him freedom in exchange for writing a new Gorillaz album, and he moves to London. Uh, this is very funny. I love that EMI has a giant armored warship called the Battleship Ringo. Of course, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, the Beatles references continue in that he's put in EMI's uh, Dungeon Abbey, their secret underground prison. Right. <laughs> it's where they put artists who breach their contracts. Who, do you th- who else do you think would be down there? That's a great question. Pete Doherty, haven't heard of him for a long for a long while. Maybe he's down there. But yeah, apparently three years, three years Murdoch spent yep. in Dungeon Abbey as a, as a prisoner. Much longer than, uh, than he spent in that Mexican jail. This is the only explicit reference, I think, this phase to Murdoch having written humans also. Basically, they just said that if Murdoch wrote them a new Gorillaz album, they would let him out of prison. Um Oh right! It doesn't then say that he that he did it. It says he eventually delivered a gorilla album, but as far as we know, I guess. Yeah, we haven't gotten any real lore about the recording process this time around, have we? That's a little disappointing. A little bit disappointing. Hopefully, more to come. We would hope, right? Yeah. Okay. Discussion question. Let's figure out the rules of Murdoch's immortality in a way that allows him to have both started the London Fire in the 1600s and also been delivered to Sebastian Nichols' doorstep as a baby in 1966. Let's decide how this works. Okay. Well, it's got to be some kind of reincarnation thing, right? You think it's rapid? Does he? Does he? No, because he he went through a full childhood, right? Yeah. So what happens is when when Murdoch Nichols dies, he reincarnates perhaps with all of his memories. Reincarnation is a tricky thing. It is. It is. Didn't that dude who killed John Lennon think that he was John Lennon reincarnated in the same time? Oh, Mark David Chapman is that his name? Yeah, that's the second time in a row I brought him up on a podcast. All right, so is that what we're saying? We're saying that when Murdoch Nichols dies, he comes back as baby Murdoch Nichols? I think so. Something like that. Or maybe or maybe it's just all made up. Did you consider that, Dylan? Maybe he's it's making it up. It's also possible that he's just telling fucking tales, man. Finally, Trevor, we have arrived at the book of 2D. Uh, the tease for it. The attack on Plastic Beach forced 2D into... Oh, wait, 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 Trevor, I've forgotten something very important. Go, go ahead. We see Murdoch's dick in the book of Murdoch. <laughs> Right, he's peeing, yeah. God, I'm so fucking ready for this episode to be over. Book of 2D. <laughs> he, um, he gets swallowed by a whale again, right? Massive dick. Yeah, he gets swallowed by massive dick, uh, and then massive dick dies because the ocean is so polluted, and then he gets barked back up, and then he eats massive dick, and he's stranded in what he thinks is a desert island for a few months. It turns out it was just Guadalupe, and then he spends a year finding himself in Guadalupe, and then he goes back to London. I like that twist a lot, actually. That 2D was, was so dumb that he thought he was stranded on a desert island. <laughs> Just carving up that whale and eating it. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. But now we've got, uh, let's see, we've got massive dick, we've got a northern whale, pirate jet refers to the only whale, and then we have five whales in a dream. There's a lot of Damon Albarn whales. <laughs> He's a whale of an artist. 
I don't know. I don't know, man. Okay, discussion question. 2D has shown us his dance moves, Trevor, in the videos for Feel Good Ain't, Dirty Harry, Sleeping Powder, and now Strobe Light. Please rank his dancing from best to worst in these videos. Sleeping Powder's number one. Oh, yeah. Gotta love Damien Albarn's dad moves. They're, yeah, then, they I, then I think I would go for, then I'd go for um, probably Strobe Light. Who's, who's in the suit there? Is that Jamie, do we think? I don't know. I don't know. We know that uh, Noodle is Emmett Akon's, uh Jamie Hewlett's wife, but we don't know who's... Right, so who's, the two of them dancing together, that'd be very cute. Then I think three, um, I guess I'd have to go with Dirty Harry, because, you know, it's got the Napoleon Dynamite move from one of his favorite movies. <laughs> one of his favorite movies. <laughs> and I think I'd have to put, I think I'd, think I'd have to put um, Feel Good and Glass, if only because I think that's less him dancing and more the, you know, sinful vibes of the Feel Good and Tower controlling his body. Right, it's almost like they're not really his dance moves, you know? He's being compelled to move like this by the manufactured pop, excess, debauchery. There's a thin veneer that separates you and me from being done with Gorilla's lore on Halloween, you monkeys. I can, I can see the finish line, I can taste it. All we have to do is figure out how to integrate the events of Do You Think into canon. <laughs> okay, here's what I think, alright? I think there are two timelines. I think there's the timeline where Gorilla's lore, all of it happens. And then I think there is the timeline where Plastic Beach was just a huge marketing campaign. There was never an oh, island. Oh, shit. The whole all thing of the video, was just... All the videos are fake. It's just been Murdoch broadcasting right. from his basement. I think, that's, I think that's the Do You Think universe. And I think the humans universe assumes that all that did happen. Oh my god, what if in Phase 5 the two timelines breach and meet? That'd be great. That'd be really good. And there's one set of band members who are all well-adjusted and one who are all fucked up from having mm -hmm. been on this terrible adventure with, like, murder and pirates. And That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Crisis on Infinite Gorillas. Congratulations on finishing the lore season of Halloween Monkeys. Uh, before we get all wrapped up, though, I want to talk about our uh, own personal pirate radio playlists. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Well, we're done with lore now. We're talking about music now. Yeah, we did. I mean, that's we covered all three phases. We got uh, the band forming in phase one. We got the events of phase two that led up all the way throughout Manana and Noodle's mysterious disappearance. Then we did. We just ran through uh, phase three. By the way, I'm, I'm doing this really long rant because uh, Dylan is busy looking for the playlist he put together of his own pirate radio tracks. He's not going to tell you that, and he's going to edit it all uh, to be like, I'm just talking all at once. But he's interrupted <laughs> me a couple times, and I can still like hear him typing. Dylan, come on. Okay, Trevor, you tasked me, you gave me a, a, a homework assignment here. I did, yeah. Wait, is this an official discussion question? If you want, you can play the noise. Well, I can only play the noise if you say it, because it's yours. It's an official discussion question. Thank you. <laughs> so, if you had your own little pirate radio, what, what's some stuff you would play? I, I threw together a little half-hour mix, so, but I want to hear what you came up with first. So I picked three songs because I wanted to create like the elemental three best pirate radio picks. Okay. Okay. Sure. Uh, so first I picked the cover of Leonard Cohen's Everybody Knows by Concrete Blonde because it was the lead single from the film Pump Up the Volume, the movie in which Christian Slater has a pirate radio station. Really deep cut there. Sure. Uh-huh. No problem. Uh, and then second, I, I picked a song called The Devil Glitch by Chris Butler, because it's the longest uh, pop song ever recorded. It's 70 minutes long. That's fun, too. So I wanted to get into the things you can't do on terrestrial radio territory, right? 
Uh, and then I also decided to pick uh, In Heaven by Fatboy Slim because it says the F word more than any other song uh, ever created. So for the same reason, I decided to make a little a little playlist of taking full advantage of the format, Trevor. So there seems to have been a misunderstanding. I thought when I tasked you with this, it would be clear that we were sticking for kind of like the pirate theme that Murdoch was going with. So all oh, of no. mine have to do with the... Okay, so all of mine are like that. That's fine. We just that's that's totally legit. yeah yeah just different interpretations. Different they're they're different timelines, like we just <laughs> talked about. Exactly. So I think I would open with um, "Yellow Submarine" by the Beatles. Great, pretty pretty classic choice, I think. Then I'd go into a little uh, go into a little stranger territory with "Theme from the Bottom" by Fish, which is a song that is yeah. sung from the perspective of a fish. That's like one of the best fish songs too. It's really good. Then I would throw in um, "Here Comes the Hot Stepper" by uh, Ine Kamose. Which I think would just be kind of like a cool little. It sounds like like something that might have influenced Plastic Beach. Are you familiar yeah, with that, that one? It's like vibe. a one hit wonder. Yeah, really cool. Then um, I went a little Murdoch on this one. I threw in a "Starving in the Belly of a Whale" by uh, Tom Waits. Ooh, I like that. That's a great song. Yeah, went for another Gorillaz collaborator next with "Other Fish" by The Far Side. Nice. Why didn't that make it into one of these broadcasts? Right. That would have been I don't know. Pick. I don't know. Come on, guys. Then I would close the show with uh, the Mariner's Revenge song by the Decemberists, which is a nine-minute ballad of uh, maritime murder. So give me one juicy lore reveal that would happen in that episode of Murdoch Pirate Radio. What would we learn in that episode? Ooh, what would we learn? Um, I think we would learn that Murdoch is a big fish fan. Ooh, that's a great, that'd be amazing lore reveal. <laughs> yeah. Talks about all the, all, all, the, all the times he's hung out with Trey, how wasted they used to get. I don't know if I want a fish collaboration, but I definitely want a story about Murdoch Mingles hanging out with Travis Matthew from Fish. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. That'd be really good. That'd be great. Okay, we've reached the end of this episode and this season. We've got some more fun stuff coming for you next week. But until then, please check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube, Instagram, Amino. You can write us a review on iTunes. You can send us an email to howlydiamonkey.gmail.com. You can join our Discord server at discord.me slash howlydiamonkeys. Support this show with a monthly donation on Patreon. Thanks to you, uh, new and recurring subscribers who continue to help uh, support the show. We really, really appreciate it. And that was season three of Hallelujah Monkeys. Woo, we did it! All right, and uh, yeah, we'll see you. We'll see you guys next week. Until then, I'm Trevor Ickraft. I'm Dylan Flynn. And remember, boys and girls, Satan loves you! Living in a lighthouse, baby, every single day. I dream of living in a